Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. I'll never forget the Christmas of 2010. It was Christmas Day, and I was visiting my parents in Rock Springs, Wyoming. I was sitting in the room that had been my brother in my bedroom for most of our growing up years, but as parents are known to do, it no longer felt like the bedroom of two sweaty teenagers. We'd grown up, we'd gone to college, gotten jobs, we were married, and so my parents had converted our bedroom into a cozy second living room. I was just finishing watching a movie with my brother Nathaniel and his wife Leanne and my sister Amanda and her husband Travis. There were logs on the fire. Where my brother's bed used to sit, there was a sturdy round table. My mom was setting up a board game, Settlers of Catan. We were going to play it in just a few minutes. And I remember my wife Molly poking her head into the room. And she said, Aaron. And I remember being surprised by her tone. I I couldn't exactly place it. Was it stern? Urgent? Serious? I knew that I needed to follow her. And so I got up. I followed her down the hallway into the bathroom. And she picked up something and turned around. She was standing there with a funny look on her face. Kind of a smile mixed with a shell shock mixed with something else, and she didn't say anything that I can remember. She just held out a stick to me, and it took a moment to register what I was seeing. It was a pregnancy test. The stick was a pregnancy test, and on the test was a mark, no, two marks across. My mind was suddenly spinning at a dizzying speed, trying to take in what I was seeing. We were pregnant. We were pregnant. I I don't think I said anything for I, I don't know how long. And then finally, what? Molly and I both broke out in laughter and an embrace and, oh my goodness, and I can't believe this, and all in hushed voices and whispers, And I remember before we left the bathroom, we prayed, we thanked God, we we were just amazed, shell-shocked. It felt like in a single moment in the downstairs bathroom of my parents' home, my entire life, our entire life, was making a massive turn. It would never be the same. Molly and I were through the roof with emotions, excitement, disbelief, speechless but full of words inside, questions, thoughts, feelings, all coming so fast that they were impossible to make sense of. I remember coming out of the bathroom and 
My mom and various siblings were all seated at the table, ready to play the game, Settlers of Catan. And of course, they had no idea what I had just learned. And there I was trying to trade a sheep for a wheat when my heart and mind were somewhere else, trying to take in what I had just learned. My life would never be the same again. And that was the unforgettable Christmas of 2010. It felt like the best Christmas gift ever. Around six weeks later, we decided to tell my family. And I remember inviting my brother and his wife and my sister and her husband over to play Settlers of Catan with us. And this is the real picture, so sorry that it's fuzzy. Um, before they arrived, we arranged the pieces on the board, that same board game that we were playing just after we found out. And you can see, if you look closely, the, the words, we are pregnant with the pieces of the game. So I remember them all coming into the house. They were taking off coats and striking up conversations. And of course, we were just waiting for them to notice. And eventually, my brother-in-law, Travis, started reading kind of slowly. We are pregnant. And about that time, there was screaming and laughter and hugging and congratulations and celebration. And it was absolutely the best. We knew that they were all in our corner, that they were pulling for us and praying for us, and we were so excited. So, a quick discussion or reflection question for you. Learning about a pregnancy can evoke so many different emotions. So, we discussed this on Sunday in groups. If you're with someone, you can chat about this or just think about it. Tell about a pregnancy you learned about. It might be a sibling, a friend, a child, a relative. What thoughts and emotions did you experience? Right. Coming back. Today we're continuing in the Gospel of Luke, and we are looking at Mary's story of finding out about her coming pregnancy. It's the story of the Annunciation. When people encounter this story of the angel telling Mary about the coming pregnancy, People often want to reflect back on the meaning of it all. The fancy theological word that describes the mystery of God becoming human is the Incarnation. The Incarnation was God forever altering God's self, God with skin on, God remaining what God was while becoming what God was not. It was the full and perfect revelation of God the living word, the full expression of God, Emmanuel, God with us, God made in every way like us. 
as the Nicene Creed says, Jesus Christ, light from light, very God from very God, begotten, not made, of one essence with the Father. Fully God and fully human, God showing us the true way to be human, God not only explaining our suffering, but sharing our suffering. It's understood in Christian theology that the moment God became human, it was a foregone conclusion that humanity was saved, that it's going to be okay, that humanity was being healed. It was God showing us how much presence matters. Now, as a theological concept, the incarnation is massively important. And before all of that, this story that we have in the Gospel of Luke, this is Mary sharing her experience. This is Mary telling Luke what it was like. So let's listen. How did Mary experience this? The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, when Molly and I told our family and friends and our community about our pregnancy, everyone celebrated. They were so excited for us. And that is exactly what we expected. Nobody ridiculed us. They didn't judge us or shame us. They celebrated with us. I knew that Molly was in my corner and I was in her corner and I knew I had my mom in my corner. She would gladly serve as a a doula if we asked her to. Dad would be cheering us on and praying for us. We had Molly's folks in our corner. They would drop anything to help us. We had all of our siblings on both sides so excited for us. We knew we had a church family that would throw us a baby shower. But none of that is the story we have here in the Gospel of Luke. What could Mary, a teenage girl, 13 to 16 years old, pregnant, out of wedlock, expect in this situation? Well, her announcement didn't sound like we are pregnant. It sounded like a different announcement. It sounded like I'm an adulteress. She could expect absolutely nobody 
to be in her corner. There was no announcing. We're pregnant. There was only I am pregnant. And how would Joseph, who she was betrothed to, react? He knew he wasn't the father. And how would her parents and relatives react? They would all be asking the same question. Uh, who's the father? They all knew where babies came from. And lying wasn't really an option, because who was she going to accuse and say, well, that person violated me? That wouldn't be true. And who would believe her anyways? And how were people going to respond if Mary said, well, I guess God got me pregnant? How would they respond if she gave the additional notes, oh, and by the way, my son is going to be called the Son of God? On the one hand, they might call that blasphemous. On the other hand, they might call it treasonous because son of God was a term for Caesar. Either way, they certainly weren't going to respond with a baby shower and with celebration. That's for sure. They were going to hear her answer whatever she said as a refusal to actually tell them who the father was, and everyone was going to consider her an adulteress. If Mary was lucky, they would apply the book of Numbers, chapter 5, to her. It's easiest to read the entire chapter here, but basically it describes bringing her before the priest, making her let her hair down, having her clothing torn so that she was exposed, having her jewelry removed, making a public shame of her, an object lesson for all other betrothed teenage girls, and pronouncing a curse over a bitter drink mixture made out of the dirt from the floor and ink, and then making her drink the bitter waters, and accepting that if she was indeed an adulteress, she would be cursed by God and the baby would die and her abdomen would swell. But even if the child lived, the villagers would taunt her. The child would always be known by a Hebrew term, a mazmer, which in English is basically bastard, an illegitimate child. The child and any grandchildren could be prohibited from worship gatherings and from the temple. Deuteronomy 23, verse 2, No bastard shall enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So what was Mary supposed to say to someone who quoted that verse to her? And all of this, this was just if Mary was lucky, because if Mary was unlucky, the people of Nazareth would apply Deuteronomy 22, verse 23, and stone her to death. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin, pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the young man, because he violated another man's wife, you must purge the evil from among you. And that was the law. That was what scripture said. So who did Mary have in her corner? This was an impossible situation for Mary. It was a scandal. Why would anyone believe such nonsense as, uh, 
I'm still a virgin. Everyone knew where babies came from. Nobody was going to believe that an angel visited her, that this child was from God. Mary needed somebody in her corner, somebody who could speak for her, who could understand, who could support her. And take a look at what God did. God didn't simply get Mary pregnant without any consent. Yeah, the angel Gabriel was respectful and Mary did have an opportunity to give her consent. But keep looking at the scripture. It's not only that. The angel Gabriel came to tell Mary that she had someone in her corner. So how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Or I like Eugene Peterson's translation, Mary didn't waste a minute. She got up and traveled to a town in Judah in the hill country, straight to Zachariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. And the story continues. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, I can just imagine Mary on that journey to Elizabeth's thinking about how she's going to explain all of this to Zachariah and Elizabeth. When you're invited to be a part of God's saving work in a way that might involve people accusing you and ridiculing you and rejecting you, it's really easy to second-guess yourself. When something bizarre or unusual happens to you, you can get in your head to the point that you begin to wonder, am I going crazy? Who in the world was going to believe that an angel named Gabriel visited Mary? Who in the world would believe that God could cause a virgin to become pregnant in a miraculous way, much less to birth the Son of God? Like, what did that even mean? But notice, Mary never even had to explain herself to Elizabeth. Elizabeth just knew. Instead of Mary telling Elizabeth the story... Elizabeth told Mary what was going on. Mary didn't have to convince Elizabeth. She didn't have to explain it at all. Elizabeth just got it. And Elizabeth called Mary the mother of my Lord. If there is a moment in this story when Mary was able to breathe a sigh of relief and tell herself, it's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. 
I imagine this is that moment when her relative Elizabeth got it, even before Mary had explained herself. This is such a beautiful part of the story. Not just the way the Spirit was working in overshadowing Mary, which is massively important, but the angel pointing Mary towards her relative Elizabeth and then working in the heart and mind of Elizabeth. Something happened so that Elizabeth knew as soon as Mary walked into the house. God gave Mary someone in her corner. There's a reason that Luke goes on to say Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Sometimes God brings people into our lives at critical points, and there's no way to really even measure how instrumental they are in determining who we become and our trajectory from that point forward. If we could sit with Mary and if we could listen to her tell her story, what would she tell us about those three months with Elizabeth? What would she tell us about how desperately she needed Elizabeth during those early days of her pregnancy? Could she even measure how instrumental Elizabeth and Zachariah were at that point in her journey? Would she tell us how much she needed those three months with someone who believed her and trusted her heart and could rejoice with her and face the struggle of this massive change in her life? Would she tell us how much she needed someone who was also experiencing a miracle pregnancy happening in their body? Someone who understood what it was like not be able to communicate openly and clearly with your partner about the pregnancy? Zachariah was both deaf and mute and Joseph wasn't there. He was probably going to break off the marriage, she probably thought. Would she tell us that she, how much she needed someone just a little farther down the road of pregnancy. Someone who, when she said, oh man, the smell of olive oil is making me feel so nauseous today. They didn't look at her like you are such a lying prostitute. But they could just look at her and smile and say, yeah, that is the worst. It was the smell of barley for me. Would she tell us how much she needed someone who could receive her as a gift? Not as a dirty, lying, teenage floozy, but rather reminder of who she was. You are the mother of my Lord, and why am I so favored that you came to visit me? Would she tell us how much she needed someone who could help her think about how to navigate things with her family and with Joseph and could help her trust God? Someone who understood her family and the family dynamics and perhaps could even be an advocate or a voice of some kind for her within the family. You know, it's curious how the timing works out in Luke's story. If you do the six months along plus three more months of Mary staying, it appears that Mary went back home after Zechariah regained his voice, after their baby was born. Perhaps Zachariah and Elizabeth together were the voice of peace in Mary's family situation. Perhaps they were the reason and the way that Mary was able to go back home. We don't know. 
I think it's very easy to read right past these three months with Elizabeth and Zachariah and miss what the Spirit was doing behind the scenes. The Spirit was making sure Mary wasn't carrying out one of the most important tasks of human history while being completely alone, completely alienated, misunderstood, and rejected. The Spirit was making sure Mary had someone in her corner, someone who got it. Now, what does this story have to do with you and with God? The Elizabeth story isn't an anomaly in the biblical story. It's more of a theme. When God invites people to be a part of God's saving work, God gives them someone in their corner who gets it. It's the creation of Adam and Eve. It's not good to be alone. It's Moses and Aaron and Miriam, and it's Moses and Jethro, and it's David and Jonathan, and Esther and Mordecai, and Naomi and Ruth, and Elijah and Elisha, and Jesus sending his disciples out in pairs, and Cornelius and Peter, and Barnabas and Paul, and on and on. It's Mary and Elizabeth. Sometimes we end up on the Mary end of the equation. Sometimes we end up on the Elizabeth end of the equation. Sometimes you're the one who's offering all of who you are to God. And like Mary, you feel all alone. Like, maybe you're the only one. Like, who could understand this? Like, no one's at your side. And it could cause you to spiral towards some pretty dark places. And more than anything, you just need someone to reach out and say, Hey, I see you. I'm in your corner. I get it. I understand. I'm with you. I'm for you. You need someone who's doing something more than just being a good friend. You need someone who's responding to the Holy Spirit, whether they realize it or not. They are speaking God words that are exactly what you need to hear. You need someone who can come alongside and share the project. You need someone who can be your advocate. You need someone who reminds you of who you are and who God is and assures you, hey, it's going to be okay. And for some of you, the hope that you need today is simply that if God is calling you to something, whatever it is, God is going to give you an Elizabeth. You're not going to be alone in this forever. Somewhere, God has someone that God wants to bring along and say, hey, here's someone who's in your corner. This past summer, I remember going through a day when I was quite low, and in a single morning, I received two messages out of the blue. I received an email from someone that I had actually never personally met, but they spoke some words that I desperately needed to hear. And then I got a phone call that same morning from an old friend who just that morning had felt led to call me and tell me that he's my rah-rah guy. He's in my corner cheering me on. And I remember feeling so much care and protection not just from these people, but from God. And it was care that I needed. 
Can you recognize when God has brought this kind of care into your life? That's the Mary end of the equation. And sometimes we end up on the Elizabeth end of the equation. Sometimes out of the blue, the Spirit gives us words of affirmation and celebration and recognition of someone else. Hey, I see you. I believe you. I believe in you. This is something that you were made for. You belong to God. The, the words jump around inside of your guts, and you could pass them off. You could second-guess yourself, like, uh, if I say anything, maybe it's going to come out weird. Or maybe this feels like it's jumping around in my guts, but maybe I just had a spicy burrito for lunch. Like, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, you could do that. Or you could take the risk. You could let those words of trust and affirmation just flow out of you. You could make the phone call, send the email, make the the connection, trusting that maybe, just maybe, you are playing a very instrumental part in a critical point in someone else's journey, whether you know it or not. When the words are jumping around in your guts to affirm someone, to believe them, to celebrate what God is doing, the question is, do you let those words out? There is no way to measure how instrumental you might be in determining who that person ultimately becomes and their trajectory from that point forward. So, a final discussion question. Who is someone who has been instrumental in determining who you have become and your trajectory? How do you see God behind the words or presence that they offered? And have you ever told them how they impacted you? Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.